Hi, how's everybody doing? It's great to see you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being with us this morning. Um, I just want to reiterate what Barry said. And just thanks for taking time out of your day to be with us and to worship the Lord together. And just excited about these next few weeks. I'm going to be sharing uh, my heart with you um, on the Advent theme. We're going to be uh, looking at some different stories um, from the Word of God to challenge us. But uh, let's start out and let's pray and just ask the Lord to come and uh, speak to our hearts. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you again for your presence. Thank you that you're here with us. Lord, we ask that you'd speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, illuminate the Word of God to us. Let us be changed. Let us be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Lord, um, I just pray, Lord, not only, uh, not only for the congregation, but for myself, Lord, that we would not just be hearers of the word, that we would be doers of the word. Lord, that you would speak something to our hearts, that we would just take one, at least just one thing maybe today and just apply it to our hearts and, and apply it to our lives. Change us, Lord, from the inside out. And Lord, may we bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. God, we love you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so the next few weeks, I'm going to be doing a little mini-series called Counting the Cost. Counting the Cost, talking about the Christmas story. Um, our main text over the next few weeks will be from Luke chapter 14. And I'll be reading from there in just a few minutes. Um, I know that's kind of an odd passage when we talk about the Christmas story. But Luke 14, where Jesus is talking about what it means to be um, a follower of Jesus Christ and counting the cost. And we're going to parallel that with the Christmas story and God's invitation to people to be his follower, to lay everything down to follow him. So we're going to be talking about counting the cost. This morning we're going to be talking about Mary and Joseph. Counting the cost, Mary and Joseph, you're looking for a title. You know the Christmas story, and we're getting ready to celebrate that. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. It's amazing um, that uh, we are moving already into the Christmas season. Thanksgiving was like a blur. Did, who ate too much? Confess. We're going to just confess that right now. Let's get that out in the open. Throw it out there. And, you know, the commercialism is amazing because, you know, it usually goes from Halloween to, to Christmas now. I appreciate it. Somebody had posted on Facebook. It was a little picture, I think, from Macy's. And it says, uh, right after H Halloween, it says, we are not decking the halls yet. But we are going to, uh, we're going to be celebrating the Thanksgiving holiday. And, and then they had something about Thanksgiving, which I thought was really neat. Because a lot of times we miss out on Thanksgiving. But as we move into this time of Christmas... We're going to be talking about this story. We're going to be talking about Mary and Joseph. But, you know, the Christmas story is brutal. Maybe that's not a, uh, a, an adjective that you're used to when you hear the Christmas story, but it's a brutal story. We often look at this as this sweet, precious little story of this couple who become the parents of Jesus. They have no struggles, no pain, no problems. You know, God invites them to this sweet little quiet story. It's just not like that. We've got to remove that thinking out of our mind. It was a brutal story. That's not how it happened at all. The story is filled with trials, troubles, hurt. It's a brutal tale of emotional, physical, spiritual, and mental challenge. Merry Christmas to you. So Everybody's going to, whoa, where's he going with this? But we tend to romanticize how things happen, don't we? 
You know, we have the, the, the pictures. I mean, even, even when you look at the old paintings of the Christmas story, it's just sometimes, it's just, it's actually kind of comical. But we have our, our sweet images of Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. Some pictures Jesus with the halo. Have you ever seen those? The old, the old with the halo. He's born with the halo. I, I thought that was amazing. Sitting in this nice, neatly kept stable that was prepared for them. Uh, it's like, you know, some of the pictures you see is like people were waiting for them and they, you know, put the, the candlelight and they got a warm blanket and, you know, shuffled the, 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 the animals to the sides and they kind of really made this a neat, warm, little, pretty place. It's not like that at all. I even like some of the Christmas carols that we sing and just as I was preparing for this, I looked at some of the lyrics of the songs. Some songs that I love, but actually comical lyrics. Silent night, holy night, all is calm. I don't think there was anything calm about that night. I think it was brutal. It was, it was, um, it was, the conditions were unbelievable. All is not calm. Or away in the manger, the cattle are lowing, the, ba- the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. He was perfect. I just don't believe that. I think he was screaming in terror. Almost like, Father, what have you gotten me into? Here's a teenage girl, her husband, that they have really no idea what's going on, and um, born in a, in a dirty, nasty stable with animals. The stench had to be unimaginable. Think about it. There's no room in the end. You guys know the story. There's no room in the end. The place is massively crowded with people. Their animals are probably stuck in this, this stable, and it's probably an overcrowded stable. They're probably bumping into animals, and you know what animals do. There's no outhouse for the animals. They're doing what they do, and this place is horrific, and it's stinky. And so we, we've thought that if God authored this story, which he did, you know, and, and sometimes I think that we romanticize these, thi- these thoughts and these images to try to maybe make us feel a little bit better about the whole story. Because if that's what God required of them, what's God going to require of me? God did author this, short, this story. And sometimes we think that there should be no troubles, no pains, no difficulties. Sometimes we equate God's goodness and his blessing and his favor with no problems or trials or struggles. We also at times equate God's troubles with with his punishment of us. But we have to get into right thinking. Sometimes, and this is a different message for a different day, sometimes we do endure his discipline when we are out from underneath his, his authority and we will endure that. And that's when we embrace his discipline because it's a good thing. But, but, but at times, I think we've been, especially in our American Western kind of thought, is God's blessings equals no struggles, no pain, no challenge. And then um, if I'm going through pain, struggles, or challenges, or trials, he must be mad at me for something. Sometimes that is the favor of God. Sometimes that is the blessing of God. James says this. He said, consider it pure joy. Pure joy when you go through trials. And immediately we can stop there and you meditate on that passage for a moment and you want to almost debate that thought. Consider it joy when you go through trials. Wait, I don't want to consider it joy. I don't like trials. Who's with me on that? 
Amen. <laughs> Thank you for the honesty. But I think the reason why James says that, when you, see, when you hear the heartbeat and you just get down to the gut level of this thing, is God saying, I love you so much, I'm entrusting something with you. And yes, you will endure some trials and some struggles, some pain. But there's something far greater on the other side of this. Consider it pure joy when you go through trials. Mary and Joseph went through some trials. They went through some struggles. What God asked of them was absolutely enormous. But as Mary and Joseph, do we exist to bring glory and honor to Jesus and to the kingdom of God? If we live for Him and love Him, He does work everything out for our good and for His glory. That's His promise. But you look at this story as, as, as other stories, and I've talked about some of these stories as we've gone over this last year, but you, know, you look at the stories of old and you say, is God really in control? Was he really in control? And as Joseph said, and I preached this message called the, the, the Genesis 50-20 principle where Joseph got to the very end and all the trials and struggles he went through, and he was able to say in his testimony and his anthem to God was, God meant it all for good. You guys meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. And even the things that maybe the enemy means for evil for you and me, God can turn it into good when we belong to him. And he can turn our trial into a testimony and our struggle into something that glorifies him. And he can get glory in and through us. But he meant it all for good. So what is God saying to us through the story of Mary and Joseph? What is God speaking to us? Because he is speaking to us through the story. And more than just once a year as we read this story at Christmas time, let's get the heartbeat of what God is telling us through their story. And I encourage you, and I, I don't know what your tr family tradition um, is, but uh, we, we, we read the Christmas story every year on Christmas Eve, and we just we read it and, and just kind of talk about what was going on in that time. And I encourage you to do that as you talk to your family and your kids of their struggle, of, their, of the trial, of the culture of the day, and the things that God was requiring of them. And you're going to see not this peaceful, well, peace by the world standard. You're not going to see peace that way, but you're going to see eternal peace. You're going to see eternal joy. You're going to see eternal um, hope, and not as the world defines it. But you're going to see a challenging story. And then asking God, what is your challenge to me? See, because people, uh, uh, as people, we love comfort, don't we? We absolutely love comfort. I'm, I'm as guilty of this as anyone. It's a part of our nature to gravitate toward ease and comfort. If I can eliminate the stresses of my life or the challenges of my life somehow, and I can work myself into a place of comfort and ease, that's kind of the goal. That isn't the goal. I'm not saying that we have to be stressed out all the time, but it's peace even in the midst of the storm. You hear what I'm saying? It's eternal peace. But as people, we gravitate toward ease. Listen to this. It's kind of humorous, kind of funny and sad all at the same time. But this, the following are actual responses from comment cards given to staff members. It's a wilderness recreation and hiking area. These are actual. I wish I was making this up. These are actual responses from cards, comment cards. Number one, trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building tra trails that go uphill. 
Number two, there are too many bugs, spiders, and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness area to get rid of these pests. Number three, please pave the trails. Chairlifts need to be in some places so that we can get to the wonderful views without having to hike to them. Four, the coyotes make too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals. As if they're paid staff, you know. I beat it. Number five, a small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there any way that I can get reimbursed? <laughs> Number six, escalators would help on steep hill, uphill sections. Number seven, if you weren't quite sure if this was Americans, McDonald's, uh, McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. And number eight, this is awesome, there are too many rocks in the mountains. <laughs> if you're wondering if we like comfort, that should put it to rest right there. That should be a confirmation, should clear it up for us. Living for Jesus isn't comfortable. Giving our lives to him is really in itself being a follower of Christ is counterculture. That's why so many in culture look at, you know, religion and, 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 and some governor at one point said that it was a crutch. You guys know who I'm talking about. That religion just, that Christianity, it's, it's a crutch for weak-minded people. And I'm thinking, there's nothing weak about being a follower of Jesus. You are going against the flow in every aspect of life. The Christmas story isn't one of comfort and ease. I can guarantee you that. It is a story of great cost. It's a story of joy. Yes, don't, 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 don't. I'm not being screwed here, so, so, so please stay with me. It is a, it is a story of, of joy and hope and love and peace. But again, not as the world defines these things. You know, the Advent themes, and we light these candles, and we're reminded as we watch them burn, hope, peace, joy, love. All those words that give us those fluttery feelings. But these are not as the world gives. The joy, the hope, the love, and the peace that are contained in the Christmas story as well as the rest, uh, the rest of the Bible and the stories of the Bible are eternal. One scripture says that it is a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. In other words, I have no words to express the joy that I have within me. It's not joy based on my circumstances. It's not joy that I just got the, the best gift in the world that I was hoping for all year long. But it's a joy that is inexpressible with human words. Paul talks about peace. He says it's the peace that passes understanding. In other words, it goes beyond human thought or human reasoning. Peace that passes human understanding. You know when it's supernatural peace is you are in the midst of something. You're in the midst of a trial and a struggle, and you have peace. Have you ever been there? There's nothing like that. And you can't even explain it. Because that's why it's a peace that passes understanding. That's what Paul was describing is you can't even get your head around it. I should be completely stressed out. Everybody sees the condition or the thing that I'm in and they go, why aren't you freaking out right now? And all you can say is it's a peace that comes from God. I, I really don't know. I can't even explain it. 
and the love that is demonstrated by the laying down of our lives. As Jesus said, no greater love has no one than this than someone who lays his life down for his friends. That is what, that's the true measure of love. And then hope that isn't, again, based on circumstances, but a hope that's found in Jesus Christ and him alone. So counting the cost, if you want to turn to Luke 14, you can if you're already there. Awesome. This is kind of my text for the next three weeks. I want you to hear, uh, maybe you've read this a lot of times, maybe you've heard it or heard parts of it. I want you to kind of hear it in a new way. As I was reading this this week, it really struck me in, a, in just a different way, in a new way. But listen to Jesus as he's talking about, and he is talking about people being his follower. Followers of Jesus. Luke 14, 25, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, listen to what he says, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Strong words from Jesus. Do you catch that he's not making it this easy kind of thing? He's just not throwing it out there saying, oh, everybody can just, you know, follow me. And, and it really is not going to cost you much. Now, he, he's putting some weight on what it means to be his follower. Listen to what he says, verse 28. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin a construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might compl complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. Verse 33, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. What's Jesus trying to convey in this passage? He's saying following him will cost you absolutely everything. You notice the, the illustrations that he gives. And he's not talking about a real building or a real uh, you know, army and, and war. He's saying, in comparison to following me, here's the thing that you need to take into account. The first thing he says is, by comparison to me, you need to hate everyone, even the closest people, the people that you love on the earth the most. In comparison to me, you need to hate them. That's Jesus' words, not mine. Now, he's not saying hate them just to, be hate, just to hate them. He said, in comparison to your love for me, hate them. In other words, he's saying, I want to be first. I want to be foremost. I want to be the most important. I want to be the center of your life. I want you to surrender completely everything to me. If you give me 99%, that is not enough. I'm asking for all of you. 
So he says, in comparison to your earthly relationships, your love for me has to, has to far exceed that. Then he says this, don't begin until you count the cost. And he said, what, what person would start a building? You know, they're, they're not going to just start a building without counting the cost. They're going to sit down. They're going to say, do we have enough money to finish this complete project? He said, unless you get the foundation built and that's all that you have the money for. And then you stop and you go and, you, and, and everyone looks and they said, there, there's the guy that did not finish what he started. And then he talks about the, 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 the king with the army. He said, you know, you wouldn't go to battle without first coming up with a strategy, with a game plan to say, are we able to do this? So he's speaking of following him when he gives us these illustrations. And he's saying following Jesus will cost you everything. And, I, and I've said this before, but the contentment in being a true follower of Jesus can only be understood in the place of complete surrender to him. Most people that have a frustrated relationship with Jesus, and I'm not saying you don't have frustrating times. I've been there. I'm just saying where it's like a constant frustration in their relationship with Jesus. I think that there's probably somewhere in some area in their life that they have refused to give up, and they are still in control, and they are still not completely surrendered. But do you hear the heartbeat of Jesus? He is giving people an out. This, is, this is, goes against the, the things that I was taught as a kid that, you know, if you just come alongside this person, hey, just pray this prayer after me and, and then it'll all be good and you'll be, you'll be a Christian and they're not quite sure what they're doing and you go, yeah, just pray this prayer after me. That's not what Jesus did. If you want to be my follower, I mean, would, would we witness to people like that? Okay, do you want to be a Christian? All right, are you willing to give up your entire life? Are you willing to surrender everything that you are? Because Jesus gives them an out. Listen to the scripture. He says, when he says, when he's given that, that, that compared to his, our, our love for him and our love for people, he said, you got to hate them in comparison to me. He says this. Do not, do not start until you have counted the cost. Don't begin. Verse 28, don't begin until you count the cost. And so it's like Jesus coming alongside some, and he said, listen, I want you to be my follower. There's nothing that would thrill my heart more than, than you to be the follower of Jesus. But don't begin until you count the cost. You need to know what you're getting yourself into because it's going to cost you everything. So Jesus gives us an out. And he says, and he, he ends this little story in verse 33 and this, this whole, this, this invitation to him. It says, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. He says in another place, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Do you hear the weight that he's putting on being his follower? And what, I think what he's saying is, do not take this lightly. Do not take it lightly. It's going to cost you everything. It's an all or nothing proposition and invitation from Jesus. I've been guilty of this, but at times we think of how much of the world can we hang on to or how much of this life can I hang on to and still follow him. 
And Jesus just makes it completely impossible to work within that context. It's all or nothing. And what he's saying is our self-focus has to die. You have to cast aside our selfish ambition. That's what Jesus says in one place. If you want to be my follower, you have to cast aside your selfish ambition, take up your cross, and follow me. But this, and you hear the weight of this, but this is the Christmas story. This was the invitation to Mary and Joseph. They had to count the cost. They had to think about what they were being asked to do here. You don't have to turn there, but you know the Christmas story. Luke 1, 26-38 is the encounter with Gabriel, with Mary. We all know the story. He comes to her and he says, Greetings, you who are highly favored of the Lord. She was blessed. She was highly favored. But he was getting ready to ask her to lay her life down. He was getting ready to say, This, what Mary, what I'm about to ask you to do is going to absolutely cost you everything. So he gives her this greeting. She's troubled by the greeting. He gives her the proposal and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will birth the Son of God. And I love her answer to him eventually is this, may it be to me according to what you have said. But we don't really know before she said that how long that pause was, but she had to count the cost. Can you imagine what is going through her mind? Put yourself in her shoes. She's not married yet. She's engaged to Joseph. She's been betrothed to Joseph. We don't even know if she even really knows Joseph that well. Back in in those days, it was arranged marriages, and she's betrothed to Joseph, so she's engaged. uh, Most theologians have her about 13, 14, 15 years old. And she's got to count the cost of what the angel is asking her to do. The cultural implications of this. The shameful idea of what was going to happen. The social implications. This was not going to be easy. The rumors that would start flying around. Becoming an outcast in her own village. A place where she was born and raised and everyone knew her. That she was going to be possibly misunderstood. And maybe, even if it's clear to some, to others, she's going to be misunderstood for the rest of her life. Because some people are just not going to believe that this was of God. Some people were going to carry this rumor forever. Because you see, what the angel was asking, she couldn't become partly pregnant. It doesn't work that way. He's saying, What I'm asking you, are you all in? And she had to count the cost. It's going going to affect her forever. This was not a sweet little little Christmas story where the angel comes to her and she says, yes, and all is great, and she has a halo, and Jesus has a halo. This was going to cost her everything. And so she counts the cost, and she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be unto me according to your word. She was saying, I surrender my will. I surrender my plans. I surrender my life to your plan. My life isn't my own. It's yours, and it belongs to God. Because you can imagine, she had plans for her life. She's engaged. She's thinking about the future. She's thinking... 
how this is going to work out. We're going to have a nice little house, and I'm going to be married to this carpenter. And, 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 and you know, she probably has her, her thoughts. She's probably journaled out her thoughts and her plans for her life. And the angel comes along and wrecks everything in a good way. But she was saying, my life isn't my own. It's, it belongs to God. And then her poor fiancé. Guys, can you, I mean, can you wrap your head around what was being asked of Joseph? You can find his story in Matthew chapter 1. Because at one point in the story, she, he knows she's pregnant, but he doesn't know anything else. Can you imagine the, the silence of that? The, the, the silence that he was getting from God at that point? The guy suffered in silence. She's pregnant. It's never happened like this before. It's not like that he has anything else to fall back on. Like, you know, in history, there was several women that were, you know, miraculously got pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not like that he go, oh, yeah, that happened this time. You're just another one of those. It, this had never happened before. Mary's pregnant, and there's no other information at this point. And then here's her story. Yes, um, an angel came to me and said I was going to be, uh, you know, to get pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be, he'll be the son of God. Sure he is. But you see, this is not easy for anybody. And God doesn't alleviate them right, you know, quickly. He doesn't tell Mary, you know, you're going to be pregnant, but I tell you what, what we'll do is you will never show. We'll just make you, like, invisibly pregnant. to try to help you and try to alleviate this whole thing so that you don't look bad. And God's saying, are you willing to look bad for me? Finally, the angel comes into, to, to Joseph in, in a dream, you know, because he he's made plans to d divorce her privately, to try to not make a public spectacle of this because, you know, the law would demand in some cases the death penalty for this. So Joseph is pondering all this stuff. The angel of the Lord comes to him and says this, marry her. Go ahead and marry her. Go with the plan of marrying her. Because, you know, he could have just said, I, do, I don't want to do this. I didn't sign up for this. I'm going to divorce her privately. I'll find another young lady. We'll start our own normal life together. And all will be great. And I'll be a carpenter. And, and I, can go, uh, I can go according to my own plans. The angel says, marry her. Count the cost, Joseph. Are you willing to do this? And listen, Joseph, here he is in this community. He's a carpenter. So he, he's putting his reputation on the line, his career. You know, there's going to be people for the rest of his life that says, we are not giving him business because of all of that Mary pregnant by God thing. We're not giving him business. And he probably lost customers. He probably took a, took a major financial hit because of that. But his reputation, his career, his very life would never be the same if he agrees to this. Marry her. But you need to know, Joseph, it's going to cost you everything. You might look bad. You might be misunderstood for the rest of your life. There's probably going to be rumors flying around. But God, guess what, Joseph? I'm not going to alleviate that from you. I'm saying, am I worth it? And Joseph and Mary both said, God, you are worth it. You are worth my reputation. You are worth me being misunderstood. You are worth my very life because my life is not my own. It belongs to you anyway. 
So the cost of following him is huge, and I don't want us to miss the weight of that. It costs Mary and Joseph everything, and it will cost us everything to give our lives to the plan that Jesus has for us. And as Jesus said, it's not my words. It's Jesus' words saying, this is not going to be easy. He wants us to understand what we're getting into as being his followers. But the promises that we have with him far outweigh any struggle, trial, or pain that we'll ever suffer. The cost, when we say you are worth everything, the cost is worth it. Because he is the reward. We get Jesus. Yes, we count the cost and say, okay, God, I don't get it all, but I'm all in with you. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you all my life. I'm completely surrendered to you. And Jesus is saying, now you will get me. And you won't just get me on this earth, but you're going to get me forever. And you're going to get eternity with me. Because these guys, Mary and Joseph, and the people that have gone before, and, and, and Joseph in the Old Testament, and Abraham, and Moses, and these people of God, and Paul, they said, you know what? Our life is not our own because our life is very short in the, in, in, in the whole equation of eternity. Our life is very, very small. And Jesus, you are worth everything because we get you forever. Because when, when, you, when you get the understanding and you get the revelation, the cost that he asks is actually not that big when you think of eternity. But he is the reward. Then we have true peace. We have true joy. We have true hope. We have true love. And we have true contentment because it's all found in him. And it's not the stuff that the earth gives. It's not stuff the world gives. It's the stuff that he gives. There's nothing like having God's peace when you're going through a storm. And when you're in the middle of a storm and you, and there's no, you know, unless it's a financial storm, but there, you know, you can't just throw money at it or you can't buy a bigger house and you can't buy more cars. You can't have more earthly wealth that says, well, this is going to make me somehow happy. That's why some of the richest people on the planet are some of the most depressed people on the planet. And they're in this search for peace and hope. And they're in this search for true contentment. How do you get that? And it can only be found in one place, and that is Jesus Christ. It will cost us everything, but the prize is worth it. Matthew 13, and I'm going to close with this. Jesus is giving these parables about the kingdom of God. And in this last part of Matthew 13, when he is giving this discourse on the kingdom, he ends with a couple of little passages of, of how much the kingdom is worth. And I think it's a great context of when, when we give up everything, we actually get a greater prize. And Jesus says this. He said, the kingdom of God, Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of God is like a man who goes out into a field and he comes upon a treasure in this field. And it says that for joy for that treasure, he's absolutely enamored with joy for the treasure. It says because of the joy that he has for the treasure, he goes and he sells everything that he has 
to purchase the field to attain the treasure. And Jesus said, that's, that's like when you get a revelation, when you, when you understand what the kingdom of God is like, when you understand the prize of the kingdom, when you understand the prize that Jesus is, it's for joy that you sell everything. So when Jesus is saying what he said in, in, in the passage in Luke, when, you know, and it almost can sound like a downer, he's saying, you need to know what you're signing up for, and I'm not going to make it easy on you. It will cost you everything, and unless you're willing to give up everything, you can't be my follower. Pause, comma, however. If you look at it in context with what he says about the kingdom, if you will give up everything, if you will completely surrender and you will completely follow me, there will be a treasure and a prize that you will absolutely, you can't even contain within your heart and your mind. And so Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this man who found this treasure for, for joy for that treasure. He sells everything. And, and put yourself in that guy's shoes. He sells everything. He gets rid of everything. Put it in context of us. You know, he just says, my house, I, I, you can have the house. You can have the car. Even maybe we're, things that I put a lot of earthly value in, it just means nothing compared to what I'm getting. And that's what Jesus says. This guy finds this treasure and for joy sells everything to obtain the field and obtain the prize. That's what it means to count the cost. The prize is him. It's an eternal prize. It will, it will, it, it's going to exceed this earth and the life that we have on this earth because one day, one day we're all going to face death unless he returns. We're going to see him. We're going to leave this life and we're going to go into the next life. And I want to go having him as the treasure of my heart. I want to go and I want to stand before him with the thought of, Jesus, I gave up everything for you. Even if I was misunderstood, even if I was called uh, crazy or, or whatever, even if my reputation is on the line, Jesus, you are the prize and you are worth it. So what is God speaking to you today? What's he asking of you to give up? To sacrifice? To surrender? My invitation, is, it's not mine, it's God's invitation to all of us, is will you come? Will you give up everything? Because in the words of Jesus, you cannot be my follower unless you give up everything. And today, maybe you're here and you're, you kind of had a, maybe a frustrated walk with Christ. And, you know, maybe that whole concept of complete surrender is foreign to you. But I'm telling you, the only way that you're going to find true contentment in the idea of being a follower of Jesus is to sell out to him completely. It can't be understood outside of that. And so there might be something that God is putting his hand on that he's saying, this is a block from you getting to me. This is an area that you're controlling. This is an area that you have, you know, the grip on and, and, and you're having a hard time letting that go. Let him, let him pry your fingers open and, and release it to him and surrender it today. Unless you give up everything you own, you can't be my follower. Are you ready today? Are you ready to count the cost like Mary and Joseph? And as the Lord came to them,
And he gave him this proposition. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to carry the Son of God. It's going to cost you everything. Joseph, I want you to marry her. It's going to cost you everything, but the reward will be great. What is God putting his finger on in your life today? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. Lord, you know my own heart, God. I, I just, I'm before you today, and Lord, I, I just, I humble my own heart before you. I say like that man did when, 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 his, when his son was, was filled with demonic spirits, and, and Jesus, you ask him, do you believe that I can set him free? And I love his honesty to you. He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I do believe, but help my unbelief. And Lord, I say that today, God, I, in my own heart, Lord, I, I, I surrender, but help me in those areas that I, I haven't surrendered. Lord, I pray for each person in this room today, God, whatever you're putting your hand on, Lord, I pray that they would see, letting it go would be out of joy, out of the prize that they get, the eternal prize that's found in you. They'd be able to release it that area of control, that area that they have just been, maybe they've just gone around and around this mountain over and over, that they would release it for joy because you are the reward. And the way we're going to close today is um, I'm going to have Jeff put on a CD and we're just going to put the lights down and I'm going to have some of the leaders be up here and we're gonna, we, we want to pray for you. And I, I just encourage you, don't leave today and... and you know, if God is doing work in your heart, if, he's, if there's some business that you need to do with God, do it. Get alone with him up here. We'd love, we'd count it a privilege and an, an honor to pray with you, to come alongside you. But if the Lord is putting his hand on something and, and you just need to, you know, just maybe come up and just spend some time alone with him, I encourage you to do it before you leave today. But as the Lord's invitation is, is what do you need to give up? What do you need to surrender? Because he's asking us all, will you be my follower? Will you follow me? And let me tell you, it's going to cost you everything, but he's worth it. And so I'm going to just pray, you know, and if you need to go, God bless you. Have an awesome afternoon. Have an awesome week. But um, if the Lord is speaking something to your heart, don't, don't leave today until you've met with him in some way. And uh, so we're going to open up the front here in a moment.